alive, living, not dead. Imagine with me the youth of this generation living in Christ. The Lord is moving on them and we are in pursuit. He will make himself known. The Alive Retreat is about making room for the Lord to ignite the fire for revival in our students on earth as it is in heaven. We are believing the Lord for connection, for purpose, for breakthrough. And I'm declaring over our students right now in the name of Jesus to come alive. <laughs> that was the guy who did the whole video, who was so excited about his video. Yes. <laughs> Honestly, and it is the truth, I think that um, whenever we have a camp or a retreat, you hear us advertise for it. And I want to make sure you understand, these are not sources of income for our church in any way, shape, or form. We don't do them because profit is built into them, and it's how we make budget. Nothing like that. In fact, most of the time, they run at break-even or sometimes even a little bit below because of the scholarships that we'll give to make sure that everyone who wants to be a part of something like that has a chance. We don't think that money should separate ministry, right? Yeah. Now, the reality is that sometimes ministry costs money, but we'll take it from other budgets in order to make that happen. So I said all that to say this, that if you are a teen who is listening to this right now and you aren't signed up, you need to sign up for this reason. It's not about whether or not you're comfortable with uh, going to the youth group or not, or whether you know people or not. The truth of the matter is, the most important thing is putting yourself in a position to experience the living God. Because when you do that, it will change everything. The thing that will make a difference to you 10 years from now, 20 years from now, when you're my age, will be the experiences that you had with God. It will not be just sitting in a church listening to a message. And I'm not saying that God can't move that way. For sure he can. And for sure you can experience him that way. But when you put yourself in a place where it's uninterrupted time with God, you're putting yourself in the path for something supernatural to happen. Encourage yourself. Be a part of that. If you're a parent and you have any influence in making that happen for your son or your daughter, I would, after you hear the message today, if you can walk away and think that doesn't matter. I, yeah. And if you're a grandparent, uh, ma, grandpa, and you sit in here and you're like, you know, maybe you don't have kids at home. Maybe you don't, uh, you're not in that position. Maybe you can encourage by giving a scholarship for another kid here yeah. to be able to go. Sometimes the amount of people outpaces, um, you know, what, what we're able to, to have signed up. <clears throat> Something supernatural is going on in our youth department. And um, you've got You've got a fantastic youth leadership team, but now you've got Eric and Brooke who also are just, man, they love Jesus, are passionate for Jesus. Um, and they, they uh, you know, they're back from a school of ministry at Bethel, um, but they work for us prior to going to do that. And when we knew they were coming back, it was our first conversation. It's like, if God will open a door, we need to get you guys back. And their qualification for being our youth pastor is not um, the skills that they learned before or even what they learned when they went to California to school. It's the passion that this couple has for Jesus, how much they love him. That is the number one thing on our radar that we want, and we want that in our children. We want that um, coming up inside of our church, and I just hope, man, I hope our teens help set our church on fire as we move forward in the summer, right? So uh, I just want to encourage you with that. I hope you know it, it's taking time and resource from a message, but in my mind, I feel it's 100% worth it. And then I want to give you one more encouragement here. Um, we've got many uh, small groups and Bible studies that go on, but there's a new one, and it, it's not a, a super long one. We have an author in the church who wrote a book uh, on Revelations, and we do a series usually once a year on end times. In fact, it's coming up here uh, not too long in the future. But um, they're starting a home Bible study on this. That uh, It's not a real, real long uh, home group, but if you enjoy uh, end times type stuff and you enjoy talking about, you know, uh, what the world will look like and what are the signs of Jesus's return and, you know, how do we prepare for things like that? Uh, out when you exit, there is uh, a desk out there where you can find the people who are going to be leading that group and information about that group. And if you're looking for a small group, I thought I'd massage this real quickly because 
I love stuff like that, and I know that when I teach on it, it's one of the more popular things that we teach on during the year. So if you enjoy that and would like to find out more information, it's available out there in the foyer. All right, uh, let's jump into this. Um, you, you found your communion elements on your seat, or you should have, and at the very end of the service, we'll take communion today, and I think you'll see the appropriateness of um, how everything comes together uh, for that. Our series is called Teach Me, and what we've done, just in case you're visiting or maybe you've been, you know, you've been traveling a little bit, uh, we asked for our summer series that people in our church would help us out with the things that you'd like us to address. And we're always teaching. In fact, here's the truth of the matter. We have the next three years worth of messages right now stacked up. But I know that, you know, when you start getting that long out there, uh, you're assuming that the Holy Spirit's going to be tracking that way three years from now, right? And I, while I think all those things are biblical, you know how we teach, but I, there might be things in the meantime that people are dealing with right this moment or things that maybe they're happening around. Yes or no, we live in times that are changing very rapidly, right? And so I've got like people that are sending all these different questions. How do we handle this? What about that? Pastor, what would you say about this? So that's where this series has come from. And that's what we've been teaching on this summer. We're getting close to wrapping it up. It's only got a couple of more weeks to go. And so this message is a two-parter. Next week, as Daniel uh, announced, we're going to be praying over our teachers and our students and those who are involved in education. And we do that uh, every fall, just asking for the Lord's protection and his blessing and believing that um, we don't want to stand on the outside and curse institutions. We want to light candles and bring light into institutions, yeah. right? That's what we're, we're trying to do. So this is a two-parter because one of the questions that I was asked multiple times in multiple ways, how to navigate culture. Now, some of it was, how do I get my kids through the culture that's happening right now? And it had to do directly with like what's going on with school and what's going on uh, around us. But it also had to do with adults, believers who are asking, how do we navigate right now in culture? How do we, how do we handle this? What is our attitude? I, a lot of people, they wanna withdraw. And do you know that the one thing we cannot do is withdraw? Jesus said these powerful words, occupy until I return. Those are his exact words, occupy until I return. We don't get, there, there is no option to put a, you know, um, busy sign on the door and kind of hide out until the Lord returns. It just doesn't work that way. So navigating culture, and I'm going to do it in the light of, I'm going to talk about navigating culture, but also uh, with children, right? Like what, how do you do this? How do you handle this? I'm going to show you some things that I think you might find a little bit shocking, probably like me. If you're around my age in any way, shape, or form, let me just say this to you. If you haven't recognized it, the world you grow up in uh, is not the world that your children and grandchildren are growing up in right now. Now, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun, but certainly I think that culture kind of can ebb and flow. And sometimes it's at a real high heated apex and other times it's at a lower trough, right? Depending on what's going on in the world. I think right now it's super heated all around us. And I think that believers in particular find that culture is, uh, is, is hostile towards the things that we value and the things that we hold to be truth and things that we, we think are precious. We find culture around us uh, becoming more and more hostile to those things. How do you navigate that? What do you do about that? And truly, when I make the statement that your children, your grandchildren, the, the young people in this room are growing up in a different world. Uh, look, same mountains for sure, same downtown Denver mostly, but the truth of the matter is it's a completely different culture than it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. It is. So how do we handle that? Looking out on the horizon, do we see it getting better? Do we see it getting worse? How do we, how do we position ourselves going into that? So that's where this message comes from. I'm gonna use the book of Daniel today as the text that we'll jump off into. So let me, let me give you a little bit of background. I don't wanna bore you with this, but I think it's pertinent and relevant uh, for what we're gonna teach. So um, Daniel, he, Daniel is a young man who at 17 goes into exile uh, from Israel into Babylon. Is it cold in here? I see people suddenly, it was hot a few minutes ago and now it feels cold. What do you want, cold? It is cold. Okay, turn it down more. No, just kidding, just, just kidding. Uh, maybe, maybe just uh, turn it up a little bit. It gets hot for me up here, but um, <laughs> let's make sure you guys are all comfortable. So, uh, <laughs> are. And if you're visiting, I'm exactly that way. Um, <clears throat> I'm teasing. So uh, Daniel, 17 years old, uh, is growing up 
uh, as uh, a relative of people of position in Israel. Um, and when Israel goes into bondage, the nation of Babylon comes and overtakes Israel. And instead of destroying <clears throat> completely all the people of Israel, the way that a kingdom then would expand itself, it's called assimilation. They will take the, the brightest and the best from that culture, see if they can adapt them into this new culture. And really, um, by removing who they were and giving them sort of a, a new look on life, a new, a new value system, a new uh, purpose, right? They're hoping that, that they can expand their kingdom that way. And so we find that that really is how the enemy operates. Uh, he's not out just to destroy you. He's actually out to expand his kingdom. And if he can take believers and remove your value system and give his value system to you, his kingdom grows. Does that make sense? And so that's, that's how it works. So here's what we find. We've got four Hebrew teenagers who find themselves suddenly living in a culture that's hostile to everything that they've been taught, everything that they've grown up with. Their parents are gone. Likely their parents have been killed. It doesn't say that for sure, but their parents are not there. And it's likely that the older generation was killed. And Babylon is trying to take this younger generation and expand their kingdom. And so these four teenagers suddenly have to navigate this hostile, anti-God culture. And the expectation by Babylon is that they're going to bow their knee to all of their gods, to all of their values, to all of the things that they believe, and that they'll let go of all of the values they've been taught, including their understanding of who God is and how you serve him. And the story is so relevant because these four teenagers decide by leaning on God, we can navigate in the middle of this culture, not giving up who we are. And in fact, if you read all the way through the book of Daniel, here, let me just give it to you in a nutshell. Here's what happens. Babylon doesn't change them. They change Babylon. And for whatever reason, God has chosen that the church is going to live out its final days, not outside of culture, but in culture. And so I think the most important thing is that Babylon is not a, a country that existed, you know, uh, 3,800 years ago, 2,800 years ago. Babylon is a system that's still alive today. In the book of Revelation, uh, the apostle John wrote these words 700 years after Babylon is gone off the stage of history. He says the sins of Babylon have piled up as high as heaven. And then he says to God's people, remove yourselves. Don't get tainted by this system. He doesn't mean flee someplace. He means don't let the system change you. You change the system. So how do we navigate? It's not the first time that God's people have been put in the situation of having to navigate a hostile culture, of having to figure out how we make our way through. So, um, and then I guess one last thing that I would say, uh, we're going to read about this. So the very first sentence in Daniel chapter one is, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim was the king of Judah. At that time, Israel was split into two kingdoms, the northern and the southern. The southern is Judah. And uh, Judah was supposed to be the one that was following God, but through a succession of very ungodly, wicked kings, Judah ended up being very far from God to save a few people who love God. This king is a wicked guy, incestuous. I need to be a little careful because I look around and I've got, so we'll go into deep, but he's an incestuous king. Um, they actually had a way back in those days. You remember that one of the covenants that Israel had with God uh, was um, um, well, circumcision. And like, I'm trying to think if you don't, sure, you know what that is, right? I, if you don't, I ain't saying any more about it. Okay. So it, there was actually an operation all the way back at that time where the people who, um, who were walking away from God, there was a way to reverse that. And I don't know what that was exactly, but this king did that in order to say, I'm not a part of the covenant and I'm not a part of what God is doing. And then this king, listen how wicked this guy was. When the book of Lamentations is being written, he asks for it to be brought into his presence and they read the first five verses of it. He takes a, a, a pencil or a quill or something and he begins to scratch it out and then throws it on the fire and burns it. Burns the word of God in front of his nation. And then he makes this statement too. The kings that came before me that didn't serve the Lord were nothing compared to how I'm not going to serve the Lord. So he makes this statement. This is, so I, I'm just going to say this real quickly. Bad leadership, anti-God leadership can bring judgment on a nation. Listen to what I'm saying right now. 
You know, so now, now you're, if you're like drawn, so Pastor John uh, is saying that happens, and so therefore Biden is, and then it's not what I'm saying. I'm not making that statement. I'm saying that if you tell God long enough, we don't want you. We don't need you. And we're going to do everything we can to walk away from everything you've told us to do. Eventually, God, listen to me. I don't think that God like sent his judgment on Israel. I think God just pulled his hand. You don't want my blessing? Okay, I'll pull my hands back and Babylon filled the gap quickly. So if you were to say, pastor, in space and time, what do you see happening in our nation, in the world today? I think the world is as hard as they can saying the people who came before us, you think that they didn't serve God? Watch what we're going to do today. Watch how we'll walk away. Now, here's the most amazing thing. You'll find this all through the Bible. God relents a lot of time because there might be a few believers who love him, who are calling out to him, and he might ignore what all the wicked are doing just to preserve the few people who love him. So that gives us hope, right? So pray for our nation. Be involved. This, that reason right there is more of a reason for you to be involved in culture today than any other reason. You are light. You are salt. You represent the Lord. Get involved and don't allow that void to be there so that the enemy just comes in and just tramples and takes. Does that make sense? Okay, there's the message. Go home and have a great day. No. Um, okay, Daniel 1, 1 through 8. Let's read it. Uh, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature, the culture of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from his table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. Let me just comment real quickly. Why change their names? Especially in that culture at that time, we don't speak Hebrew. So when we say the word Daniel, all we hear, Daniel. But Daniel's a little Hebrew sentence, which meant God is my judge, my keeper my defender. God is the one who watches over my life. So literally, every time they called his name, they're calling out his destiny and his purpose and why he exists on the earth in the first place. Does that make sense? So he's got his destiny at 17. This kid has been taught all of his life. This is who you are. This is who God is. This is where you're going. So the very first thing that a hostile culture wants to do is to remove that understanding and place another understanding on them. So by changing their names, it's the first thing that you can do to remove someone's identity. Does that make sense? So look at how they do this. Uh, to the name uh, Daniel, they change it to Belteshazzar. Now remember, Daniel means God is my judge. The gods they served were called the Baals, B-A-A-L. Bel is the derivative of Baal. So Belteshazzar means that Baal is your protector. So before, he's always being told that Jehovah is your protector. Now he's being told that, no, Baal is your protector. Do you get? It's a hostile culture trying to go the opposite of everything he's ever been taught. And then it tells the names of the other ones. Uh, Hananiah became Shadrach. Mishael became Meshach. And Azariah became Abednego. And you know what's worse about this is that whenever people talk about this story, they call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and that's not who they really are. It's just how we have adopted their name from Sunday school, most likely. But Daniel, look at this sentence. But Daniel, how old is Daniel? He's 17 years old. His parents are not there. The most intense, wonderful, gracious thing you can do for your children is that when you're not there, you're there. You understand what I mean by that? When you're not there, you're still there. 
But Daniel resolved not to devile himself with the royal food and the wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. How in the world does a 17-year-old kid who's going through the fall of his nation, the death of his parents, everything that he's ever known in his life suddenly change an entire culture? And by the way, if this doesn't work, they put him to death. How does that kid, how do these four young teenagers manage to stand for God in that culture? And it is a powerful story. It's an interesting story. And I'm not going to teach on that whole thing, but I'm trying to show you here, here these guys find themselves in this hostile culture, the exact opposite of everything that they've been raised in. What made them able by themselves to stand and navigate that culture? So now I want to take you back to when they were little kids. And I'm going to tell you how they were raised. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. I want you to look at these words. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Let's try it again. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. All your soul. And all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Now watch. Impress these things on your children. And then he talks about how to do that. Talk about them when you sit at home. And when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you wake up in the morning, tie them as symbols on your hands so that when you're just doing your natural activities, you'll have to see it and remind yourself who you are and who God is and all of God's blessings in your life. Bind them on your forehead so that you think about it, so that you see it, so that it's always in front of you. Never let this slip to the side. Never let it get behind you. Always keep who God is, what God wants to do, and who you are in God in front of you. That's how these kids are raised. And then he finishes this. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. If you've ever been to Israel with me, uh, I show people this in person uh, when we're there. But if you've ever entered into an observant uh, Jewish household, or even some believers will do this, it's called the mezuzah. And the mezuzah is just that little thing that's put on the doorway, normally of an observant Jewish person's house. And when they walk in their house, they kiss the mezuzah. And when they walk out, they kiss the mezuzah. What's inside of the mezuzah that makes them respect it? That scripture that I just read to you is written on a small scroll, put inside of the mezuzah and put on the doorposts of their house so that when they go out, they're remembering God's blessing. And when they come in, they're remembering God's blessing. And life is made up of two things. You're either going out or coming in. Do you agree? No matter what you do, you go out or you come in. So here's what he's saying, man. In everything that you do, in all of your act, when you get up for breakfast, talk about God. When you get on your pajamas at nighttime, talk about God. When you're walking to school, talk about God. When you're driving in your car on vacation, talk about God. Now, some people hear this and they turn it into some religious exercise that turns people off. That's not what I'm saying. Talk about how God's made a difference in your life. Talk about how it works, why it's important. And obviously, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's parents did an awesome job with that scripture because when they're all by themselves at 17, they know in their heads who God is, and they're not going to let anybody else take that away from them. That is what you want when you're navigating culture. You've got to keep God always in front of you. So if you're filling in the blanks, I'll give you four things very quickly, um, as quickly as I'm able to do. Here's the first one. You must love God with all. You must love God with all. Look at verse five again. Pull that back up for me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your strength, uh, with all your soul and with all your strength. He is not saying your children need to love me with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their strength. The key to this scripture working out for your children, your grandchildren, and the people around you that you have influence on, listen to me very quickly. If it's not real in you, if you're not fully devoted to God, if you're not in a passionate relationship with God, why should anybody take what you're saying as serious? Too many times, man, we tell our kids, do as I say, not as I do. And kids are great at spotting phonies, yes or no. They can pick them out. What you think you're doing in private, your kids will shout from the rooftop. That's what the Bible says. They know whether or not you are passionately in love with Jesus. They know if your heart's divided. They know if it's real or it's not real. Your spouse knows that. Your friends know that. Your pastor knows that. Uh-oh. 
It's not something that can be hidden. You think you're faking it and you're not. And God is saying in order for this thing to work in succeeding generations, it has to be real in you first. Now, I'm not saying you have to be perfect because there are no perfect. God doesn't have one perfect believer. Jesus was the only one. The rest of us are sinners who need to be saved by his grace. We all fall short. We all blow it. So here's what's important. When you blow it, show your children how to repent. Show them that sinning hurts you and that you're sorry. Say you're sorry. Say you're wrong. Say this is not the way it's supposed to be done. Say th this is not. Show them that you love God with everything and that you're not just going through the motions. Show them that it's not just something for Sunday morning, but it's all week long. Do I make any sense? Your passion for God is everything. If you want this to work in your life, I, just, I wrote it this way. To Eric, Rachel, you can put this in a book if you want to. Listen to this. We teach what we know, but we reproduce what we are. Say it one more time. We teach what we know, but we reproduce what we are. It is easy for me to stand up here with a few scriptures and a little bit of understanding of how to write a message. I can put together what it's supposed to be like. But if I'm not doing it, how do I lead the way for people if I'm not living out what I'm preaching right now? You've got to show them how to forgive. You've got to show them how to navigate when a culture is the opposite. If all you do is sit home and curse the president, you're not teaching anything. I got more about that I'd love to say right now, but that's a rabbit hole. You have to live out how to be passionate for God. And if you go, Pastor, I don't know how to be passionate for God. Therein is the issue, and therein is what needs to happen for you. You've got to sell out with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength to God. You can't do this part-time. You can't do this when it's convenient. You can't do this when you suddenly regret the fruit that you're beginning to eat in life. Dude, you do this in the easy times so that it's there in the hard times. Am I making sense? I got done last night and people look like I stood up here and shot them or something. I'm not meaning to be mean right now in any way, shape, or form. This is so important. You've got to live out how a passionate Christ follower navigates culture. Because children don't just learn, they catch. They catch. It's not just about talking, it's about showing. You've got to love God with all. Can I just say real quickly... I, you know, like I, <laughs> I go through two things. So I stand up here and the anointing is on me and I can be bold as a lion. And then my mind, the pastor's heart is like, I don't want anybody to walk out of here being hurt or condemned. <laughs> Guys, I don't want you to be condemned in any way, shape or form. The Bible says this, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I don't want you to, it doesn't help God if you feel bad. I don't want you to feel bad. I want you to be motivated to say, where's my heart at with these things? I want you to ask yourself, man, are you all, this is not some kid thing at a camp that happens when they're 15 and you're whole, whew, they finally got their life together. Where's your life at? What are they seeing in your life? What are you okay with? That you, you're hoping that they won't pick that. I'm going to tell you right now, they will pick it up. Let me give you the second one. Never compartmentalize. Verse six. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. These things have to be the things. You, you can't write down some of God's things and then some of the world's things and some of how, here's how my dad did it, but here's how I'm trying to do it. And here's what the pastor, you do not compartmentalize. It's the surest way to fail. Teach your family what it means to be a whole person. Show what it costs to be honest in this day. Show what it costs. Show the benefit of keeping God's laws when other people don't. Talk to your sons and daughters about temptation. We live in a time and a day and an age where I said to you, what? when I was a kid, I'm 57, so when I was a kid, pornography, pornography 
You had to go to the other side of town. You had to wait to the exact moment. You had to pray that nobody saw you. And then it might have been a playboy that you were trying to buy. Today, your children and your grandchildren are exposed to things that would make you blush in the privacy of your house. Exposed to things that you may never have seen, that you can't believe is out there. And I'm look at me. Culture is encroaching on everything that you hold dear. And you think, it's just, Lord, please protect them. It, you've got to be more involved than that. Amen. You've got to get it. You've got to see what's going on, man. It is there and it is in their face. And they are exposed to things that you cannot believe. And then here's the issue. Listen to me on this. It is not some amoral issue. It is a hook that allows a pipeline into the life of that person. The devil will come and go like Jacob's ladder where angels could come and go from heaven to earth. Pornography is a ladder that allows the enemy of your soul to come and go at will. You've given him an entrance into your life and it hooks a person and it shapes a person and it eats the soul of a person. And if you're tolerating it, Oh, hear me right now. Then you open up an opportunity for the enemy to come through into succeeding generations. Do you know that the Bible says that the sins of the father are visited to the third generation, but the mercy of God is good to the thousandth generation. So I don't want you to feel condemned, and I don't want you to feel bad, and I don't want you to go, oh, I wish he'd talk about something else. I want you to say, God, this thing's got to get out of our family. It's a generational issue that's got to stop now. It's not okay. It's not a marital aid. It's not some, we've become enlightened in this day. with sec You're talking some repressed puritanical uh, understanding of sexuality. I'm talking the one who gave sexuality to us. Here's the way he said it's supposed to be lived out because it'll be a blessing and not a curse to you. That's how you've got to look at this and think about it. And do we struggle with those things? Yes. So talk to your kids about the struggle. Talk to them about how you've got to put up roadblock. Man, I didn't mean to go in this way, so I'm going to assume somebody here needs to hear this right now. Maybe the preacher needs to hear it. So how about, would that put you more at ease? Okay. So, talk to them about the need to make sure that there's accountability. We are so good at living... <laughs> We just, we, we wall ourselves off and then inside of those walls, we, it's all, it's just as long as it stays in here, it never stays in there. Look at me, it never stays in there. Talk to them about that. And if you think, well, I, I, I'm, Pastor, I am trying to talk to my son. Listen to this, talk to your daughters too. The enemy is bombarding, bombarding young women today. Never compartmentalize your Christianity. If you struggle, then talk about how to overcome the struggle. Talk about how the enemy comes at you. <laughs> if you're like, Pastor, preach something that makes me feel good. You want to feel good? Overcome. Don't live these two... Like publicly everything's okay, but privately you know. There's no, dude, there's no victory. There's guilt in that and there's condemnation in that. And then there's the belief that it really doesn't work. And I'm telling you, it does work. And it's worth whatever it takes to get in that position. All right. <clears throat> Navigating culture, speaking, you're guiding someone younger, a child or a grandchild, but this also applies to us. When's the time to start doing this, Pastor? I had a couple in the church. I don't know. Um, it was back closer towards when we planted the church. So maybe 99 or 2000, I had a couple who, they were a little older than we were. Uh, their children were a little older. And um, man, I'll be honest with you, I had a real respect for their family. And so I just asked him, what, what have you done to be successful? And so this is what they said to me. So we, we believe like um, that, that it, it's okay to talk about Jesus, but it, 
A, a child should grow up in an atmosphere. They call it a permissive atmosphere. A child should grow up in a permissive atmosphere where they hear of everything, and then when they're old enough to decide, they can make their own decision. And I was, it was like a dagger in, like, ugh. So on the outside, it sounds like, what, what a, wow. But truly, it's, <laughs> so let me tell you why you want to start when they are young, teaching them about Jesus and the things that you value and the things that you hold dear and that you hold, who hold precious. Listen to this statement. Never abdicate your right as a parent to teach your value to your children. Because if you abdicate that position, listen to me, the world is not going to remain neutral <laughs> and respect your opinion. The world will come into that void that you have pulled back from and they will teach the world's values to your children. And then when the day comes where your children look at you and say, I don't believe what you believe and I will not serve the God that you serve and I am not gonna walk in the way that you walk, you are gonna be chasing something from behind rather than leading something from the front. The time to do this is when they are young. When you are singing songs to them when they are... I used to make up all sorts of little songs. You ever see the movie, Remember the Titans? Yeah. Know it? Yeah. Right? We are the... Oh, two, you know, oh, we all know it, two of us. We are the, the mighty, mighty Titans. I took mine when they were little. We went to see that movie and they loved, especially the boys, right? It was football and they loved to play football. So our new motto became, we are the leeches... The mighty, mighty leeches. And I would tell them, others may, but you may not. And not just because mom and dad are pastors, but because that's not who we are and that's not how we're going to live. And you're not going to feel sorry about that. I'm going to show you why what we do is better than that. So it wasn't just a no, no, no. It was, let me show you why it's better. And let me show you how fun this is. And we would spend whatever it took <laughs> And we would commit whatever time it took. And we made sure that they were taught at a young age. It's not just no and here's the rules. It's why this way is better. Yeah. It's why it's better. Now, if you hear that and you think, man, you must have raised perfect kids. Oh my. <laughs> They're better at sinning than I am sometimes. <laughs> But each one of them around later teens and early 20s, you know, your children grow up, they have your faith, but there has to come a place where they develop their own faith if it's going to take. Your faith will not get them through life. They have to develop their own faith. And the most successful thing that I have seen is that when my children take off in their own faith and no longer need dad's faith or mom's faith in order to navigate life, they now have their own faith. Which means that sometimes we don't agree about how that looks. But they have faith, real, genuine faith. And they love Jesus. And I feel we are successful parents for this reason alone. Our children love Jesus. Now, I know when I say that, that a parent who's sitting out there who's like, Pastor John, you came to faith late. You didn't know these things when you were younger. You did everything right, but your children went another direction. Look at me. Don't you think I know there's no condemnation. This is not, you cannot take the Bible and say, if we do all of these things, then there's a force field around us where nothing bad happens. It's not the way it works. Everybody will answer to God for their decisions, not your decisions. That's how. But what you're trying to do is to teach the difference between right and wrong, good and bad, light and darkness, at least so that when they are challenged on it, they know the difference between right and wrong, good and evil, light and darkness. Does that make sense? You cannot build the house, but you can help build the foundation. And here's the most amazing things. They can go a long time not building a house, but if the foundation's there, once they want to build it, they can build it quickly and easily. Always make that bridge back home easy, easy, easy when it comes to faith. Always make it easy. Always give the invitation. Am I making sense right now? You understand what I'm saying? Okay. Um, so let me show you something. Uh, Time-wise, this service is always, I wrestle with the time in this service. Um, so let me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut real quickly to something that I want you to see. Um, at our teaching team, uh, Pastor Jake, Pastor Terry, myself, uh, Pastor Daniel, Pastor Kate, uh, make up the teaching team. And we meet every Tuesday morning. 
and um, you know, we're planning and we're talking and the person who's teaching that weekend usually brings some kind of an outline and then shares, here's where I feel like the Lord's leading me. And then we allow the teaching team to speak into it, to speak scriptures, maybe illustrations. So um, this goes back two, two to three months ago and Katie was pregnant with Shia and she brought Ivory to the meeting. Jay couldn't watch um, all the kids that morning. I don't remember what was going on. Something was going on. And so she brought Ivory to the meeting. And now Ivory's not even two years old, but man, she can navigate an iPhone better than you can. <laughs> Have you, anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, like they are geniuses with these things. Like I don't, she can't even talk. And she's So she knows how to find videos and she knows how to do, and she's not even two years old. She can't talk and can just navigate this thing. So Katie opens up an app on Nickelodeon and allows the kids to watch some of the shows that are on Nickelodeon. One of those shows is Blue's Clues. Any parent familiar with Blue's Clues? Okay, it's a cute show, mostly innocuous, innocent. And by the way, if you think I'm wrong about this, I want you to do two things. I want you to Google. Just Google this sentence. What is the age group that Blue's Clues is developed for? And it will say three to five-year-olds. This is important. Because I'm not trying to show you, this message is not about, is this lifestyle godly or not God? That's another message. This message is about that if you abdicate your responsibility and the privilege God's given you to influence your children with your values, the world is starting when they are under two years old to put in their values into your children's lives. Trust me on this. So this, we're sitting at the table, Katie hands the phone, Ivory find a video and she, she's playing and she turns it up, right? So loud that we can't talk. So Katie and I hear what she's watching on Blue's Clues and it, I'm like, it can't be. So I'm gonna show it to you. Now, if you're like, pastor, I can't believe you'd show that in church. Can you believe that they'd show it on Nickelodeon to a three-year-old? I mean, could that be more offensive to you than the fact that Pastor John showed this at church? And I'm not anti-Blues Clues. There's some cute stuff on it for sure. But you better be aware that it's not all cute and it's not all innocent and it's not all innocuous. And if you think like, Pastor, that's the culture we live in today. I, I, I just think, you know, like it, it's about love. It's, so teach an adult that then. But don't teach a two-year-old and a three-year-old who doesn't know the difference between right and wrong yet. That's my point on this. Do you understand what my point is? Okay, watch this. Hey, Blue, look at all these families. Hi, families. It's time for a pride parade. Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. Families marching one by one, hurrah. This family has two mommies, they love each other so proudly, and they all go marching in the big parade. Families marching two by two, hurrah, hurrah. Families marching two by two, hurrah, hurrah. This family has two daddies, they love each other so proudly, and they all go marching in the big parade. Come on, friends. Families marching three by three, hurrah, hurrah. Families marching three by three, hurrah, hurrah. These papas are non-binary. They love each other so proudly, and they all go marching in the big parade. Families marching four by four, hurrah, hurrah. Families marching four by four, hurrah, hurrah. Trans members of this family all love each other so proudly and they all go marching in the big parade. Come join the fun! Families marching five by five, hurrah, hurrah. Families marching five by five, hurrah, hurrah. Some people choose their family. They love each other so proudly and they all go marching in the big parade. Families marching six by six, hurrah, hurrah. Families marching six by six, hurrah, hurrah. Ace by 
and pan grown-ups you see can love each other so proudly. And they all go marching in the big parade. Oh, yeah! Families marching so, so hold on. Yes. Hold on now. Okay? I'm going to say again, I'm not right now teaching on alternative lifestyles, homosexuality, that's not what this message is. And if you go there automatically, you're going someplace that I'm not going right this second. My point, and the thing that I am far more upset about in this, is that this is being aimed at two and three and four and five-year-old children. And if those are not your values, and those are not the things that you hold dear, and you're like, I'm doing everything I can, I'm telling you, culture has already figured out how to plant seeds in the minds in the hearts and in the souls of that next generation. And all it's going to take is one generation who grows up who does not know the Lord. John, am I right? Now, if you're like, so pastor, are you saying then that you think that those alternative lifestyles are okay? If you need me to say it, no, I don't. But that's not what my message is right here. And you know what's weird? I teach this message last night, and I have two or three couples get up and leave. What has happened to our culture, the one that we hold on to? And this is where, and the enemy has found a way in to church today. And I'm going to go back to, and if you're like, uh, I, stay focused, John boy. So Kate and I are sitting there and hear this and are just like, wow. Wow. If you're a believer, a Christ follower... And you don't see anything wrong with that? Dude, the warning lights should be screaming at you right now. You're in danger of a culture that is anti-God becoming your God. Hear me. And if you say, then you can't be my pastor, then I cannot be your pastor. Let me give you the last one. Number four. Coach, coach, coach. <laughs> Let me read seven through nine real quickly. Impress them on your children, God's laws, God's benefits. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Real quickly. What this is telling us is that we are always, always, and forever coaching. Yeah. So I, I wrote this down, and, and parents will laugh at this. Listen to my statement. Parenting is tiring. Is that the understatement of all time? <laughs> and here's the second part of the sentence. Parenting is tiring, and you have to be tireless. And so you think to yourself, Oh, once we get past this age and they turn 18, it'll all be good. Every parent of someone over 18, raise your hand real quick. Is that a lie, yes or no? <laughs> I always tell, it's like, you, you think that the tough time is when they're little and they're full of energy and you're chasing them. Oh my goodness. Believe me, you can turn off the Blue's Clues video. But after 18, now you have to stand there and watch the impact of decisions smash your children sometimes and it hurts and all you can do is be there and pray and keep sticking the bridge out there come on come on so then you think well once they get married it'll get better right for the honeymoon and then you got a whole new thing that you're coaching on so really if you're a parent or a grandparent you're going to do that till eternity When Chris and I, um, one of the places that we youth pastored at was Lexington, Kentucky. And we happened to go there the very year that Rick Pitino became the coach 
of the Wildcats. And if you don't know who that is, I'm so sorry that you've, you live such a sheltered life that you, like, you know. And he, he, he's not a, a great man, but he is a great coach. And he took that team in a short time and turned them national championship. And in Lexington, he, he's almost like, you know, deified. But Rick Pitino said this, and just as a youth pastor and a pastor, I believe that it's true. He said he's always coaching, coaching, coaching. He's coaching on the court and he's coaching in the classroom and he's coaching when they're trying to figure out how to spend money and he's coaching in how, you know, their physical relationships. And he said, you're just always coaching. And I thought, man, that is, we're always coaching. I'm coaching. I take my job super serious, man. So much so that I'll risk people being upset or misunderstanding or telling me you're hateful, I'm going to coach. I'm going to keep coaching. I'll never give up the right to coach. And that's the attitude that you've got to have. It's just, we're always coaching, always coaching. They don't understand it. They don't know it all. Even when they think they know it all, they don't know it all. And you're coaching and you're coaching and you're coaching. Okay. I'm done with this message. It's a one of two parts next week. We're going to pray. We're going to pray for our students. We're going to pray for our children. We're going to pray for our teachers. I'm not against any teacher. I'm not against any, I'm not against anybody. I'm for Jesus though. I'm for Jesus, which means that not everything is open then and not everything is okay. But the things that are okay, and the things that aren't, guys, Life is both of those things. It's both of those things. No condemnation. Please, no parent walk out of here or grandparent walk out of here in condemnation. The Bible says if we have fallen seven times, a righteous person gets back up seven times. And that doesn't mean just you have seven times. It's a colloquial saying. For as many times as you fall, that's how many times you rise again. If you've fallen like we've all fallen, get back up again. If you can start when they're young, do it. And if it's too late for that, don't mourn that. Do what you can do right now. Pray right now and intercede right now. Take what you hear today and ask the Holy Spirit, how do I interweave this in my life? Maybe the most important place to start is what's going on in your heart. Are you wholly focused and devoted to Jesus? That's the most important thing. And that, that message, it will never change will never change. God help our youth pastors right now. Not because I'm afraid for you, but what an awesome responsibility he's charged you with today. It's not over. The war's not finished. We're not sitting now watching how to pick up the casualties. We can still make a difference. We can still make a difference. And a generation, I talked about a generation who arose that didn't know God. Okay, the opposite is true. What could happen if a generation who does know God rises on the scene right now? Come on, man. Pray for our youth pastors. Pray for our youth group. Pray, 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 pray. And don't give up. Never give up.